0: You've hit play on the screen, Companion. A show about helping you to decide what to watch tonight. Here we are today talking about history via cinema. As in, if you want to learn more about certain historical events but you don't want to read about it, you don't want to listen to a lecture, perhaps you can access it through the power of the silver screen. My guests today are John. Hello. (laughs) And Max. I'm back again. And we are going to talk about Yojimbo, a Japanese film from 1961, as well as Ballon, or Balloon. A German film from 2018. The former deals with Japan back during the Edo period in the 19th century. The latter, about East Germany, back when the German Democratic Republic
1: was extant. Let's start with Yojimbo. Uh, Yojimbo is about a crafty ronin, samurai without a master. He happens upon a town with two crime lord bosses fighting for control and he tries to pit them against each other, and it doesn't go exactly as planned. But what would a movie be if everything went exactly as planned?
0: Uh, Ocean's
1: Eleven? (laughs) Touché, sir. Touché. (laughs) (laughs) You win this round. Well, see you next week.
0: Max, you had seen Yojimbo many years ago, but coming back to it for this episode, what in particular stood out to
2: you? It was literally just a guy who was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll throw the stick up in the air and just let fate take me where it goes. Is that really how you're going to start off this whimsical journey? (laughs) (laughs) That stick was bad luck. That guy got wrecked because of that stick. Well, he got wrecked because he was a cocky mofo. Had he just gone the other way, that probably wouldn't have happened. Who knows what the other
1: direction was? Everything can happen in samurai movies. Yeah, it's true.
0: I'm pretty sure the turmoil happening in that town wasn't restricted to that one place. I think it was happening all over the country at the time and that samurai could have gone anywhere and probably found people vying for power that he wanted to smack down. He seemed like he had fun. He smiled a lot, drank some sake. A lot of sake in this movie, big old barrels of it. John, what do you think about the story using its historical context to tell the narrative?
1: I think a lot of people refer to it as one of the quintessential samurai movies. It got remade into several western movies. It inspired a lot of western directors. It itself was inspired by western movies. And then the movie itself is a very subtle nod to the end of the Edo period. In Japan, the isolationism that they are having before America came in and forced them into imperialism, basically. And other powers, not just the U.S. And, yeah, it was, I think Russia and Britain were involved. All the big white people.
0: Yeah, it was a conflagration of Western powers saying, knock, knock,
1: let us in. You don't want to let us in? We're coming in anyway. Hello. I think that's represented by the bad guy. He's been traveling The town's trying to be isolated, and then the traveler comes back with a Western gun. I love Western symbolism in Japanese movies. The gun being America, Godzilla being a nuclear weapon.
0: Both Toho, the production company.
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) And this was after World War II. America replaced the Japanese censorship board with their own censorship board. Japan wasn't allowed to make pro-Japanese movies This was the beginning of when they were finally allowed to start making samurai movies again, too. There's going to be a lot of America Bad symbolism in Japanese movies for a while.
0: That kind of reminds me, in a weird way, a movie that's been done on this podcast, Roadhouse, where (laughs) there's a guy with a lot of financial power in town, so he calls the shots, Mm -hmm. which is what the two forces in this movie are trying to do, is establish their power base. And looking at the end of the Edo period and all these foreigners coming into the country, that just totally makes sense. All the economic upheaval that was happening because of all these new business interests coming in, it would be those guys that have money that would end up getting even more power just because of what's happening economically at home. Corruption
1: and all that jazz.
0: But tell us, John, why do you like this movie so much? What about it elevates above all the rabble that makes up mediocre cinema?
1: For me personally, it started watching westerns with my father. I think Akira Kurosawa is such a prolific director that he needs to be studied by everybody. And this is how I always try to approach it with trying to get other people to watch Kurosawa movies. It's a valid complaint The Seven Samurai is over three hours long, so I always direct them towards Yojimbo. I think this is such a good introduction to Japanese cinema in general for everybody.
0: Yojimbo. I believe the title means bodyguard, correct?
1: Yes, yes, that is not the character's name. The character, he makes up some name that means like... 30-year-old rice field. Yes, yes, thank you. Because
0: at one point he does offer his services at a bodyguard. The name of the movie,
1: I'm just going to call him Yojimbo. That's perfectly fine. He's about to go, why not?
0: Both you guys have a lot of experience with Japanese media, anime in particular. What would you point to as being characteristically Japanese about this movie?
2: The hairstyles. That's just the first thing that sticks to me. What I've always seen being represented for like old classic Japanese. That weird little man bun on the very top and the ball sides. Story-wise... I just know that this movie really did influence a lot of other stuff later on. I think there's even like an episode of Pokemon where they based it off Yojimbo. That's
1: intriguing. I didn't know that. It wasn't that great of an episode. Oh. I'm going to back up Max's claims of the hairstyles and the aesthetic in general. It's a very Japanese theater. Original Japanese theater, only the men were allowed to play, so they had to wear masks to be women. And the actual females in the movie had that same face paintings as the masks. A lot of it did feel like a stage play almost.
0: I noticed this movie had a very straightforward story. A leads to B to C. And we don't get too much in the way of motivations for why things are happening. Why is this happening besides the director and screenwriters? And I come across that feeling
2: a lot more with Asian stuff. Was there a particular moment or scene that really made you think that way?
0: Oh, yeah. The biggest one is when Yojimbo's been captured. They have him locked in a room. And then the way he escapes is by hiding in a chest. A giant man-sized chest. And when his captors return, where'd he go? We locked this room. How'd he get out? Nobody thinks to look in that giant chest. It's not like there are that many objects in the room, either. You don't even want to just look inside for a second before you run out checking everywhere else.
1: I would say that's a hierarchy problem on the bad guys' part, because they're not allowed to think. You watch a lot of stuff where the bad guys are fascists. You can get pretty far infiltrating just by yelling at people for questioning you. It's a dumb henchman issue. But they're
0: so dumb. I'll buy your explanation, but if that's true, then I wish that they would have leaned into showing that where everybody wants to think independently, but then their boss just keeps telling them, no, do exactly what I say, come to heel right now. Instead of coming up with some detours, instead of the writers having to deal with this stuff of how real people would behave, they just go, well, this is how it happens so that Yojimbo can seem clever, and then the next clever thing's going to happen, and nobody's going to really question it, except for a couple points during the movie.
1: Ultimately, though, he didn't get away with that.
0: That was my favorite scene. All right. When Yojimbo got captured, and he got beaten by that giant dude.
1: (laughs) You have some issues, Frank.
0: (laughs) I hate characters that are just so cocky, John, what do you think is the moral message, or is there one?
1: If there is, I'm not saying there is one. He ultimately chose to do good over money, which would support the, uh, I guess, anti-imperialism message of the movie. He ultimately chose to save those people. It did backfire, and he still went back to save the town. Quote-unquote, save the town. Um his original plan was to make money and I don't think he made any money in the end
0: I want to say he gave away all his money to that fleeing couple and their child yes he did and like you say that's the one time where his steely veneer cracks for so much of the movie he just seems like a uncaring badass and then he helps the kidnapped woman and her family escape and immediately that dumbass husband has to write him a thank you note Incriminating Yojimbo for helping them in the first place. <laughs> I was so pissed at the proprietor, the old man. He brings out the note. Yojimbo doesn't want to read it. If I was that old man, immediately take that paper away. Don't just leave it on the table for anybody to see. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. The moment he brings out that paper, within a minute, all of a sudden, bad guys come in. I just wish the characters had a few more moments of inspiration. Even that moment later on where Yojimbo's been beaten up and they're hiding him in a giant urn. Nobody thinks to check the giant urn, considering half the town is smashed and they're looking for Yojimbo. This old man and the coffin maker are carrying this giant man sized object and nobody wants to look in it. <laughs>
2: So I do have a good way to explain why everyone's so stupid. You gotta remember, at the very beginning, they're like, I don't want to be a farmer. I want to get rich quick. I'm going to be a gambler, take my chances, and go work for these scumbags. And then you find out they're not being paid that well to begin with. So you gotta remember, all these guys just want to try and make a quick buck. They have no real form of intelligence from the way it looks because they just came from nowhere. I want to say that's probably why so many things were able to slip through them. They're not paid to think, they're paid to do. Like working in a warehouse.
1: Yes, exactly. Thank
2: you. Take that, Frank. You guys are coming
0: up with perfectly valid excuses. But it just would have taken one or two extra hiccups. Bring the intelligence of the overall plot structure up a few levels. I liked that early on, when he thinks he's just going to get both mobs to kill each other, lickety-split, like the first day he's in town, he has the two groups coming at each other, and then all of a sudden, isn't it like an official is coming to town and they don't want to air their dirty laundry in front of this official, so they have a momentary peace and Jimbo is thwarted? It creates a new problem for him. And considering the movie is almost two hours long, It would have been nice to have a little more complexity to it. Let me take this short break to thank the listeners, both domestic and foreign. We've reached folks in the UK, Germany, India, Japan, Spain, Brazil. What a pleasure it is to connect with you all. Any questions, comments, or recommendations you'd like to give us, send those to... The Screen Companion at gmail.com. TSC is available on sites including Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music Podcasts, and even YouTube. Besides listening to each new episode, support The Screen Companion further by getting a digital or print copy of my novel, Traversal The Weight of Worlds, available on Amazon. Now, back to talking about Yojimbo. Favorite scenes and performances. Max, what were some of yours? I
2: was all about the constable, because he was just so cartoony. Oh, man. Uh, This guy always cackling in the background. (laughs) It's just so over the top. Well, he goes completely fruitcake nutty by the end of it, doesn't he? Mm Mm-hmm. He gets taken out at the end. It's like, oh, I just kind of hear him wail a bit. It's like, all right, fun's over. He's the guy that's banging on the prayer drum at the end, right? No, no, no. I think that was like the mayor. No, he was the guy who came out with the sticks to chime the clock. Like, it's two o'clock. It's noon. Oh, I thought that guy was the mayor.
0: I thought he was too. (laughs) Yeah. Huh.
1: Maybe I got it wrong.
0: I have to say, differentiating certain actors was hard enough when allowing for color might have made their outfits a bit more distinct and easier to tell apart. Whether we're right or Max is right, it's hard to tell some of them apart.
1: Their hairstyles are almost all the same. the same hairstyle, the same outfit. Um, I'm not going to say they all look the same.
0: Well, you just did, and I can edit it, so it sounds like you offered that on your own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> but jumping back to favorite scenes, what are some of yours, John?
1: That final fight, like, anytime he pulls the gun is my favorite scene, because he's so proud of the gun, he thinks he's invincible with the gun, and one knife to the hand, <laughs> he's useless plays into his vanity too because he
0: comes back to town strutting he has that air about him that he thinks he's better than everybody what's one of the best ways to show off by bringing a gun
1: he's very american just pull the gun how many bullets do you think he actually had for that gun i'm not convinced he had more than 6 i feel like he got lucky getting shuriken in the hand with the knife because he probably didn't have any bullets left He fired it like four or five times just
2: at the bell tower in the very first scene where it's introduced. He shot some other guy. I think he shot like two guys when they were trying to get out of the building when it was on fire. And he shot once into the ground right before he died. So maybe he had a total of 12 at some point? He reload? He reloaded at some point in between
1: scenes. He got a courtesy round for buying the gun (laughs) from, uh, I'm going to say a Dutch merchant. So that it's not all anti American sentiment.
0: You can hide a lot of bullets in those kimonos. I don't think I'd want to be the proprietor of a Japanese 7 Eleven. I'd be watching people all the time thinking they're stealing stuff. <laughs> that was a little detail. Did it strike you guys as fanciful? Especially Yojimbo, where they're like hiding their hands inside their gigantic sleeves. It's cold. It's a weird way to walk around. It's very cold and windy out there.
1: Yeah, it's cold and windy. You gotta get your stuff in. Your Jimbo was not wearing layers, like everybody else was. Um, so he's gotta keep himself warm somehow. They didn't show it enough. I liked how he was able to get his arm in without needing any help. Not even from another arm. Like, he could just pull him in and turtle.
0: But it's not the most heroic-looking posture even the guy with the gun
1: does it, too. He does. He keeps the gun in. That aspect, I think, worked better in the Fistful of Dollars remake. But they could just turtle in, and you don't know what's going on inside that Komodo when a gun's involved. When he draws the gun out from his cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> and the
0: gun just pokes out.
1: <laughs> yeah. And remember, I got the gun. How about criticisms for this movie? John, do you have any? I feel your criticism about things just happening. It's a very specific type of drama, so that's how it's going to go down. Jedi Genki? Costume drama? Oh. So basically it's a period piece. I think it's a melodrama where things happen and the people react versus a drama is where the people react and then things happen.
0: How many Kurosawa films have
1: you seen? Oh, jeez. Not more than ten. It took him a while to make a movie. He would hand-paint every storyboard, watercolor stuff. And then when they made a movie, I think him and the entire crew would just live together.
0: Oh, just fellas being fellas, hanging out, making movies.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) How about you, Max? Do you have any other criticisms for this
2: piece? going back to the whole black and white thing, I agree that did make distinguishing the characters harder at the same time. It's kind of like if it was in color, can you really do that anymore? At this point, it's black and white. It's become a bit of a classic piece. That's all I can envision it as anymore. And I feel like going to color would betray some aesthetic of the movie.
1: I would agree with that. 100%. During the transition to color in American cinema history, when a black and white movie came out, it was advertised as coming out in glorious black and white.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I know. Like a lot of old Aaron Costello comedies would always be advertised as inglorious black and white. Also known as they were being cheap
0: bastards.
1: You can't throw Birth of a Nation money at a comedy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I know I've seen this movie on a lot of greatest films ever lists. What do you think about that assertion? Do you
2: think it really holds? <sighs> greatest. I don't know if it's a top 10, because I don't think a lot of other people in my like circle of friends have ever even heard of this movie. I don't think it has that kind of claim like The Godfather or something that's well known in that regard. It is a good movie, but it hurts to say it, but I don't think it's to that level. I don't think it's one of the greatest.
0: If you threw it into an American's hands... And it was an American movie made in the early 60s. Would it be anything
1: special? It was remade as A Fistful of Dollars, starring Clint Eastwood, by Sergio Leone, who was an Italian director. It was made with Americans, but like you say, it's a spaghetti western. hmm Of that Man With No Name trilogy, it's not the most popular one. You gotta go good and bad, the ugly, so I suppose you do have a point there, too that even as an American remake, it's still not the most popular one.
0: As we wrap up our conversation about Yojimbo, John, can you give us a few extra tidbits about the historical setting since we are talking about these movies as examples of watching history?
1: So this movie takes place about 300 years after uh, the Warring States era. Oda Nobunaga is very famous for didn't even win. I don't know why he's the famous guy. Ieyasu Tokugawa, I think, ended up taking over Japan and started the Edo period of isolationism. Were these guys emperors? Tokugawa was. Nobunaga was just a fighter. He was just a freedom fighter. Thought he was going to be in charge. He had everything cool. And then his underling killed him. And then that guy's underling killed that guy. And Tokugawa so just was like, well, you murdered yourselves. So I'm going to take over and settle down in Edo, Japan, and start the Edo period, which is nice of him, I guess. The period is named after where it started and not who started it.
0: If we talk about just the general theme of this episode for a moment, Max, do you have any gripes about the way Hollywood has done or is doing historical dramas?
2: The first thing that comes to mind is Pearl Harbor and how they added in that bit of romance. That's something that they just do nowadays, just to add a little bit of extra spice. Yeah, no, we get history happened. But how about this little element of humanity to really bring people down to the seats? Bring them in. Are you saying there was no lovemaking happening at Pearl Harbor? Not to that extent. And maybe just women.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hawaii's not romantic. What are they thinking?
0: People have gone back to that well so many times to tell those stories. It's almost like the Holocaust happened 20 times based on how many movies there are about it. Lately, I've been watching more foreign movies. I tell myself I'm not going to watch World War II movies, but I notice internationally they tell a lot more stories about the civilians and what's happening around the war. American stuff is always the
1: battlefield, the army, the navy, the air force. It's easier for us as Americans to paint it as, we are the heroes, we're here to save, because the war didn't take place here. Pearl Harbor was the only American soil where it really hit.
0: That probably explains why international stuff coming out of France and the Netherlands, Germany, there's a lot more suffering in their World War II movies because it did happen on their front porch.
1: In their front yard, their bushes. It wasn't just World War II, it was World War I. Thinking of your beautiful suggestion of Very Long Engagement, as I still think about that movie uh, once a week. Thank you, Frank.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as we move on to Ballon, a German film. This one takes place in 1979, at a time when Germany was split and it follows two families attempting to escape the communist German Democratic Republic for the capitalist-minded West via a hot air balloon. John, I'm assuming this was your first watch?
1: It was. It was a good movie. It's always upsetting to watch people live in a police state. You're told it was bad, but you don't get to see direct examples of why it's bad.
0: And I felt like they weren't too heavy-handed with portraying life in the GDR. If this was an American-made movie, I think it would have been more sensational. The uh, lieutenant colonel that's chasing the families, he probably would be uh, twisting the ends of his mustache. Max, this was
2: also your first watch. How was it for you? Well, going and comment uh, if it was made in the U.S., yeah, this was really... Toned down in the sense of like what they would have done to make the not really bad guys but make the government look a lot worse. What I'm envisioning, for example, is all the guards would have a dog with them at all times. That's what I would envision the American version would have been. This, on the other hand, oh no, it's just a bunch of regular guys just doing their job. They're keeping an eye out, but they're not like suspecting everyone of anything. So I felt that was more realistic. And John,
0: in its depiction, of east germany what about the setting stuck out to you the most
1: the setting specifically just was a small town they were able to go out to the woods and pretend to camp and all that when they went to actual east berlin that stuck out that was a big city they're showing the landmarks and everything it felt like a small town it just felt like everywhere
0: it all feels very drab the chintziness of their personal belongings. There are a few moments where their car is having trouble starting. Max, do you have any comments on their car troubles?
2: Not a very surprise. I mean, it was basically a Russian copy of whatever they could find from the Western side. Yeah, that's to be expected. I've heard some stories about Russian made cars.
0: Hey, if we're comparing East Germany versus
2: Cuba, Would we say Cuba had better vehicles? No. No, because at that point, all their cars were, like, dying. They were probably held together with glue and cement.
0: I always had the impression that they got the cars that were outdated, but then they got better at fixing them and maintaining them. I've seen some pictures of some really nice-looking vehicles that look like antiques over there.
2: Yeah, cuz they recycle everything because they're not getting any new supplies or any new shipments. So, it's literally just scrapbooking other cars to make the best car you can. And if you can't find the part, you find a friend who can make it.
1: I know that um they wouldn't update designs or anything like that. So, the VW Bug was very popular in Russia during communist times because they would just that's what they had. So, the factory would produce that for 10 years straight before the new car came out because it's not a consumer society, so this is the car. You want a car, you get a car. That's the car. And there was that scene where the lieutenant commander was talking to the old lady at the shop, right, about the suspects, and he said, Which car? That stood out to me a lot. I was like, Which car? Which meant there was only two cars available <laughs> on the consumer market.
0: Yeah, and those uh, bugs must have been cheaper to produce, I assume,
2: since they're small vehicles. VW was a mass-produced car. It comes from Germany. It was intended to be the cheapest thing you could find. So, yeah, of course they're going to be everywhere. They actually were being made up until the 90s, I think, down in Mexico. That's how cheap they were, and that's how mass-produced they were. Going back to what John said, yeah, basically Russia had like, all right, you want a car? Here's one or two, or three options. I forget how many options they really had. It was super limited. I'm pretty sure they even had maybe two colors you could pick from. You had to,
0: I believe, apply for a car, too, because demand was so heavy and supply
2: was so small. I mean, how do you even really get a car in Russia anyways?
1: How do you even do that now? I don't know. John, what were some of your favorite scenes? It's still with me. There was that scene when the teacher was talking to the little kids, right? And... Uh, like out of a horror movie. Yeah, it was. It'd be like, well, my daddy's supposed to be an ambulance driver. Tra- well, my daddy's working on a project in the basement. And the teacher's like, well, you can tell me the truth. What's he working on? And then it cuts, so you think like, oh, God, they're caught. And then the inspector man comes and talks to the kid, and the teacher interrupts, and he's like, oh, they're making fire." I was like, that was so intense. I was just like, dumb little kid's going to ruin everything. <laughs> I was worried about the children ruining everything the most during this whole movie.
0: Well, children were a big leak of secrets. And there are a lot of documented cases of not only children, but fathers, sisters, uncles, reporting to the Stasi on their family members. And when the wall fell... The people wanted to see their records and see who informed on them. That caused a lot of strife among families. Damn. I didn't know that. That's not
1: surprising, but I didn't know that.
0: Would it surprise you to know that when the wall fell and Germany was going to be reunified, that the Stasi attempted to burn all those records, but a group of citizens stopped them because they wanted to know what spying that had been done on their own people?
1: That, yeah, I could see
0: that 100%. It's like raiding a house, looking for drugs. There is not a toilet big enough for them to have flushed all those records. (laughs) (laughs) I love that most movies might be them making the balloon, and then you only see the flight at the very end. They cut through the tension almost immediately. We get to see them on the balloon in the first 20 minutes. The drama gets upped because not only were they crapping their pants, trying to steal themselves to make the attempt in the first place, but then they fail, and then they have to ask themselves, oh my god, are we willing to try
1: this again? They almost get caught immediately, too, once they decide to try again. They go in and ask for 200 meters of fabric, and they're like, oh, this is a popular way to escape. We're calling this in.
0: Okay, now there's an example in this movie... Similar to you, Jimbo, you're slapping your forehead going, what do you do on asking for that much fabric? Of course you look suspicious. <laughs> they didn't think about
1: it. They had time on their hands when they first did it. I think they needed to make that mistake before they learned it. Plus it added drama. Back to the melodrama conversation. I
2: also really liked how the inspector explained it away. It's like, oh, they're not dumb. They're just really desperate. This is how they slip up. We're getting closer, guys.
0: Yeah, that's true, too. They were working under a time crunch because they knew the Stasi were onto them from their first attempt, which is based in historical fact. These families, I guess there were a total of three balloons that were made, and the second one, they did attempt to cross the border, and then they failed, and so they did make a third one, While they were being chased after by the Stasi, and they were able to get out before they discovered their identities. It's like they lived a movie. (laughs) How about
2: for criticisms, though? I'm trying to think of good negative criticism. I just keep coming back to the one positive criticism I had, which was, I guess, the music. Because it kind of gave me cues as to how to feel about certain scenes. The very first one that comes to mind is when the kid put the love letter to his neighbor into the mailbox and it plays like, ominous music. Oh, now I know you messed up. I just don't know how yet, but I know you messed
0: up. <laughs> Come on, he's leaving incriminating evidence. Again, like Jimbo. Don't write down your crimes, people.
2: <laughs> but here's the thing. He was expecting to make it over the border. He didn't plan on it not working. That was my expectation, too. It's like, they're all going to make it through. This is going to be the last time he can probably write to her or say something to her. Of course he's going to do something like this. Oh, it all failed. Well, you better crack open that mailbox as fast as you can, buddy. Literally right now. Drop everything else.
1: That scene made me annoyed at how the mailbox was designed.
0: (laughs) How about you, John? What are your criticisms?
1: There's probably a little nitpicking I can do, but my big criticism was I was glad that they already had a balloon in the beginning, because it was like, good, this isn't going to be about them just making a balloon. And then the last hour was about them making a balloon.
0: So they have that riveting montage of them sewing to this really (laughs) dramatic music. It's like, no, buddy, I don't care if you're German-American, you're not going to make sewing interesting. Yeah, stop. Just stop. Show the minute hand on a clock, zip by really fast, and just cut to them with the balloon. Yeah. (laughs) Even though it's historically accurate, I wish that they had consolidated the two families into one. Because I don't think either family really has much character development or subplots going on. Center the story around the main family, because we spend most of the movie with them, the Streltsics. Yeah centered around them and expand on the scenes that involved that stepfather character who intimated an anti-government position and little details like that between both families merge it all into one the movie spends so much time on the logistics of the hot air balloon talking about how it works and how they're going to get across How about a few more personal moments where maybe the father gets overlooked for a promotion for the 10th time because of socialist principles or expand on the mother's backstory because she has that one little detail about her older brother having been detained by the Stasi and she's afraid of getting caught. Delve into a bit more of why they think East Germany
2: is so terrible and they need to take this extreme risk. I'll go against you on the combining of families thing. Fight, fight, fight. I think that would be a thing to praise him for. The movie Stand Deliver. I actually had an instructor who was one of those original kids. And I was excited to hear that. And then I found out, oh wait, they combined his character with another kid. That seems like a bit of a gyp to just rob him of his little tiny moment on screen. Especially if it's people who are still alive and around. If they're around, maybe it's best to keep the characters separate. But if all these people were wiped out and they're not around to see this film, all right, yeah, maybe it's fine to combine them. You both make compelling arguments. I do appreciate
0: both positions. (laughs) Thank you, Max, for defying me. (laughs) If it's your first watch and you want the history of it and let it wash over you and ruminate on what really happened back then, then for sure having two families serves that a lot better. And it's still an enjoyable movie. But I think the difference between us is me coming back as a repeat viewer, this is where I start to pick apart the story a bit more and on a basic entertainment level, especially after the flack I threw Yojimbo's way. Mm-hmm. I wish the story had a bit more meat on the bones beyond just the, hey, this is cool because it really happened angle of it.
1: In real life, how close were they to getting caught? Because this movie made it seem like they got out with the skin of their teeth. And I can see it in reality. They're just like, no one was thinking about catching hot air balloons. (laughs) They found the
0: original attempt, that balloon. It makes their escape even more incredible when the Stasi knew exactly how they were doing it and somehow they still were able to do it again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that is... Uh, there was a line about being like, well, we're either incompetent or traitors, and I guess they were just incompetent.
0: To add a little more to the history of what's being depicted in the movie, I tried to look into like, what actually happened to people after they made it to West Germany. The Federal Republic of Germany took in East Germans in order for them to get asylum, they had to have flee due to political, racial, or religious persecution. In the post-war years leading up to the wall, millions emigrated and were placed in refugee camps until they could be processed for work and housing assignments. I read a figure that said time spent in these refugee camps could last for two to three months, mainly because the West Germans had to deal with expanding their infrastructure to accommodate an influx of so many people. Because those millions from East Germany, that's just the figure for the East Germans. If we consider a bunch of other Eastern Bloc countries, that's even more people they have to deal with. After the wall, illegal immigration from the GDR dropped into the thousands. When we're talking the whole period, From when the wall went up through 1989, that wall really curbed immigration to the West. And I looked at what were the particulars of if you got caught trying to cross over in 1979 when this movie takes place. So punishment could entail imprisonment up to eight years if it was deemed to be a severe case, as opposed to maybe one or two years if it wasn't. Now, what constituted a severe case? Well, among the many clauses, a severe case could be where the crime was executed with increased intensity.
1: What does that... That just sounds like... Jesus. Yeah, that just sounds like...
0: uh, A catch-all that they can use against you at any time.
1: Yeah, fascist lingo for just whatever we deem, we don't care.
0: It's like he... He speed walked to the American embassy. That is increased intensity. Give him eight years. <laughs> oh, and uh, another thing that could make it a severe case is if the crime was executed with other people. Oh, you tried to take your sister across the wall?
1: That's a severe case, my friend. Your sibling was sick and we refused to treat and you tried to go, nope, going to jail. Which is a weird... It's because 79, you said it was what, eight to nine years?
0: Yeah, if it was a
1: severe case. Basically, you would go into jail, get out, then almost immediately you watch the regime that imprisoned you collapse, and then you're <laughs> gifted with what you were trying to run to.
0: What a society has to do, how they delude themselves, the ones in power at least, to go, we're going to keep you here for your own good. When reality, so many people left causing a brain drain where all the skilled labor was going to the west, and that's
1: why they stopped emigration. I don't want to keep calling it a fascist regime because it was communism.
0: And <laughs> it was totalitarian.
1: Yeah, total uh, that's a much better. I don't like it when you're smarter than me, Frank. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not. I'm just helping to get your smart words out.
1: Oh, my God. You're so good at this. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Did you have more to say? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, just, I got derailed by being upset <laughs> by your intelligence. Um, any totalitarian government, trademark Frank, if you have to tell your people it's illegal to leave, you're terrible. You're an awful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, and they, through the lieutenant colonel character, the guy chasing the families, they have a couple of instances of trying to show what that mentality is about, but they've just skimmed the surface, and maybe if they consolidated Max, if they consolidated the families to one, maybe we would have had a couple more minutes for that lieutenant colonel <laughs> to show his fanaticism a bit more, and we could understand that lunacy.
2: We need more airtime to show why the bad
1: man is bad. It is one of those unique cases where the good guy and the bad guy never meet. And it's based on a true story, so why, why romanticize it?
0: John, do you have any random asinine thoughts or trivia for me as we go into Rat?
1: I think the movie did a really good job of showing what it's like to live in a communist regime. I think at the end of the day, most of that sucks. Is it I'm willing to risk plummeting to my death kind of sucks? I noticed they did some
0: makeup work in Yojimbo on some of the bad guys, especially the idiot brother, that if I didn't know who made it, I would think it was something straight out of American propaganda poster from the war oof oh there's such caricatures but then it makes it kind of all right because kurosawa made it and you go okay so i guess this isn't racist but in other hands if you slapped universal on it
2: instead of toho (laughs) 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 it could come off a different way i don't need to disclaimer at the very beginning this film was made at a different time period we have not changed it in order to keep it accurate to how it was. Do you have any random thoughts for us? Well, a little bit of trivia, going back to Balloon. There was this YouTube video I saw from a YouTuber called Quixer, I think is how you pronounce it. He basically talked about how some Czechoslovakian pilots, they were stuck in the Eastern Bloc and they wanted to defect. So they took up jobs as pilots for like the local airline. And they started scheming together to steal three jets and fly them over the border onto the western side. The problem was, they weren't the only ones who had this idea. Other pilots had done it before too, so they were really keeping an eye out for that kind of stuff. One day, they all decided, okay, we ran out of time, we have to do this right now. Separate your families into different flights so that they don't suspect us. And we're just going to all fly over at the same time. And they just brought all these other passengers along with them. Once they kind of clear, like, the dangerous part of the flight, and they inform the passengers, hey guys, we're going over to the west side, does anyone else want to defect, or are you guys going to go back to the east side, how do you want to do this? A lot of people wanted to join them, but they had family that was still stuck, so they couldn't abandon them. But one guy who wasn't even part of the plan was like, yeah, yeah, I'll join you guys. Abandon my family? Sure. (laughs) Later, fellas. (laughs) And even like the president of the airline was on one of these flights and he was going nuts to the point where even when they landed, he was trying to tell everyone else on the flight, if you stay in the plane, you're still on Eastern land. You will not be prosecuted. Nothing will happen to you. And the pilots ended up beating him up just to like subdue him. Other pilots, because they couldn't abandon their family, they're like, I can't go, man. Just make sure you hit me hard enough to leave a lump. To make it look like I put up a fight. Oh, wow. Oh, one final rat.
0: As I was making sure I was pronouncing Balon correctly in German. Because those sneaky Germans, so many words are just too darn similar. It sounds like I have a speech impediment. (laughs) But I was playing it in Google Translate. I was amazed. Do you guys know that if you play a pronunciation sound clip It plays the first time, and then if you play it a second time, it actually plays it slower.
1: Oh, wow, no, I didn't know that. Thanks, AI.
0: It makes sense, but I was surprised they put that detail in. So I was listening to a woman say, Balon, Balon. (laughs) Listen here, you idiot. (laughs) Just listen, use your ears. But if they want to make it better... Instead of having the second time go slower, because I kept clicking it, they should just have her slow down even further <laughs> as you keep clicking.
2: <laughs> slower and deeper.
1: You're stuck in a...
2: balloon. <laughs> Gets more frustrated with each click.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then it just turns into Samuel L. Jackson.
1: <laughs> balloon, mother effer. <laughs> Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? I know that's Chris Tucker, but still. (laughs) It's like, Shy's a fool.
0: Don't you know how to say bologna yet? (laughs) A new segment called Ask the Impartial Witness. Ooh, oh my. John recommended Yojimbo. I recommended Balloon. The guy in the middle, Max, I know you're going to give us the straight dope on these movies. So, I'm going to ask you a series of questions and hopefully piss off John. All right, let's do this. Which movie draws the viewer into its historical setting better?
2: Oh, God. That one's actually really hard. Uh, You're Jimbo. Yes.
0: Now, just so you know, I haven't given John your address, he can't find you.
1: Oh, L.A. is a big place. I'm assuming you lives in L.A. Yes, somewhere in L.A. <laughs> Aha! So mm. I know a city. I can go down. <laughs> Just start yelling Max on the street, because I also don't have your picture.
0: <laughs> what age would your children need to be in order for you to comfortably sit down and watch these two movies with them?
2: Man, I feel like by the age of 10, maybe Balloon? There's nothing wrong with it, but I just think the attention span's not going to be there. Uh, 12 for Yojimbo.
0: I was really surprised at a couple of moments of Quentin Tarantino-level gore in Yojimbo.
1: Japanese films inspired him a lot. Kill Bill is a love letter, if you call it that, to Japanese films. It also might be a love letter to Feet, but that's a whole (laughs) different conversation. (laughs)
0: Max, what is each movie's biggest weakness as far as leading to a bad viewing
2: experience? With Balloon, I want to say it was the pace, because yeah, it's supposed to build up suspense of leading to the escape. But for me, it felt like it took a little too long to get there.
0: Hey, you know, this slightly over two hours long, we could shave off like 15-20 minutes by merging the two families together. <laughs>
2: I would like to retract my statement. I think it was just fine the way it was. (laughs) (laughs) With the ojimbo, again, distinguishing the characters did hinder it a little bit. If there was something a bit more of a feature for each one to make them more distinct, as opposed to just faceless bad guy in the background looks very similar to the main bad guy. Something to make them a bit more pronounced as a character would have been good.
0: I think that's one of the reasons I like the giant man so much, because he was so distinctive.
2: Yeah, the great Kali with the mochi hammer, that was great. I knew who he was the moment I saw him. I'll admit,
0: it took me more than halfway into the movie before I actually recalled who represented each name I was reading in the subtitles. Yeah. And my final question for my impartial witness today. Now, history aside, which movie do you feel has a stronger overall
2: Entertainment appeal. Oh, entertainment! Ooh, your Jimbo.
1: Ah, yes.
2: If I were to summarize your Jimbo, it's literally a guy who walks into town, fucks up, and then walks out. The whole time he's trying to get these two groups to go against each other. He literally forces them into their first conflict, where he can tell they don't really want to fight because they're cowards. This is going to be great to watch. Look at them trip over each
1: other. They're all gamblers. They don't. They don't want to die. That's not the gamble they want to make. They think they're hard and actual
2: thugs. They ain't nothing. (laughs) Bitches ain't nothing.
0: Max, any final thoughts?
2: My head's pretty empty. Uh, but um.
0: That's like the most honest thing you've ever said on my show. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) John, you're so into Japanese culture. Uh, What do you think about Japanese baseball? The Japanese can't throw. Oh. Why do you think that is? They all look the same. Is there anything anybody can do about that? I'm going to take over and settle down in Edo, Japan. That's a bold statement, but I tell you, if anybody can do it and be welcomed with open arms by the Japanese people, I think it's safe to say that's going to be you, my friend. Yes, exactly. Thank you. <laughs>